0: Greetings, in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is Call to War 2020, Directive Number 6. And uh, I am excited about doing this lesson today. Uh, this is uh, the title of this, or the f- focus of this directive, is Victory in This World Right Now. And I have an abundance of scriptures today, and like several of the previous directives, this is not going to be short. Uh, but this thought, this subject needs to be covered in a an overview, and this is all this is, is an overview of the high points of scripture relating to this subject, but it needs to be covered in one session, and if you have to break it down into parts to watch all of it or digest all of it, then you and Jesus will have to do whatever you have to do with it. But I have to do what Jesus and I are going to do with this subject, and that is I'm going to teach this subject till I'm finished. And if you have to pause it or stop it or come back to it later, it'll be on Facebook, both my personal page and Apostolic Iron page, and it'll also be on Apostolic Iron YouTube channel, uh, which are available to you. Uh, at, at any time, you can watch them then. So I've got to get it recorded. I'm doing it live, uh, but I've got to get it recorded so that it's available for those who either can't watch now or uh, can't finish it now. And so uh say with me if you can. If you can't, hopefully you're hungry enough to come back and watch the rest of this. This is the sixth and final public directive for a while. And I will go more into that at a uh, later point. Uh, but this concludes what the Holy Ghost is saying as the initial foundational directional uh, or directive, directional directives, uh, laying some foundation principles for those who are involved in uh, this spiritual warfare effort. And uh, I love the word of God. I love the Word of God. It is my favorite thing to do in the whole world. And that's not just to read the Word of God, but to open up gold mines here and there and in, in this scripture and that scripture as the Holy Ghost leads and dig into that verse and find all the gold that He's willing to give me at any particular point on that particular verse and its subjects. And so I can't say that I have a specific favorite. But there are some verses that over the last 5, 10, 15 years, especially in my life, the Holy Ghost has brought to me and they have much meaning to me because of what he he said to me at the time when he first directed me to them. And he has constantly brought me back to some of these verses over the years and continued to sink a new vein in this gold mine of his word. And, uh, and, so i even those that i have studied so much he has proven to me you cannot exhaust any subject in god you cannot exhaust the study of any verse in the word of god because like john said in john 21:25 the last verse of the gospel of john there are many other things which jesus did and said the which if they should be written everyone i suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that should be written So years and years ago, Reader's Digest did what they called condensed books. Uh, There were editors that would go through authors' books, of course, without author's permission, and they would take out all the stuff they considered uh, secondary to the main points of that book, whether it was fiction or biographical or whatever else it was, and then they would publish that book as a condensed book because people are so busy they couldn't read the whole book, whatever, uh, but they only wish they were capable of doing what God has done and taken the world, a, a, a library the size of the earth, full of the writings necessary to record everything that Jesus has done or said and condensed it down into a book that we can hold because every one of those words in that book and every verse in that book has so many different levels to it. That you can't mind them. The moment you think you've come, gone as far as you can in a verse, your pride just gotten away because it's not possible. It's just a matter of that's how far God's taking you right now in that verse and he'll come back. So here's one of those verses for me with all that introduction. Ephesians chapter one, beginning with verse 17. Uh, Paul said he was praying for the church at Ephesus and therefore it's recorded. So in my, I've always taken ownership of this prayer for me. You do what you will. Uh so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I prayed that and received this and claimed it so many times, and still do so. That the the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Number three, three things he wanted us to know by wisdom and revelation. Uh, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. And now he's about to define that power that God has given to us. According to the working of his mighty power, Here is here's the demonstration of this power he's given us. According to the work of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, and we are now the body of Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand from heavenly places. Now, over the years, over the centuries, God has raised many people from the dead. And during Jesus' life, he raised people from the dead. And then when he was resurrected, saints came out of the grave and walked among men, the scripture says. So people are resurrected. But here's the, here's the power. Here's the difference. The man Christ Jesus didn't just die, was buried, and resurrected. But he ascended into heaven, and he has been made the right hand of God, meaning he is the visible representation and conduit through which all the power and the authority of God rules the universe. Because there's only one throne in heaven and one sitting on that throne. Not two thrones and not two people sitting up there. Only one. And the only visible one we'll ever see, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, is in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we will ever see the Father, according to the Word of God. And there are many other verses that confirm that. And so, this one is sitting on that throne. Well, that demonstration of how awesome this power is does not stop there. Verse 21 said in his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Now, listen to what the word of God says very carefully. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Well, you ask the average Christian, do you believe God is over all of that in the world to come? Yes, yes, yes. Ask him, do you believe God is all that right now in this world? Uh you'll get your pause, you get the blank stare, you get uh I guess right. That means you have not received the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, and your understanding is not enlightened. I'm not. Saying that, that's what the Word of God says. Because here's why it's so important for us to believe that right now. Because he doesn't stop talking there. At the end of that verse, and I'm going to read the verse again, far above all principality and power and might, dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, colon, and hath put all things under his feet, And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And exactly where are feet? Do they attach on the side of the head? No. They're at the opposite end of the body from the head. So if he's the head of the body, and the body is the body of Christ, and the church is that body, and he's put all things under his feet, that means as far as you can go in the body, from the head, he's given that part of the body, dominion over everything. Now, if I read the previous verse, 21, this way, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the world to come, but in this world. Would we have paid any closer attention to that? That verse in the Amplified reads this way. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name of his name, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and world which are to come. We says it this way. Over and above every... Government and authority and power and lordship and every name that is constantly being named, not only in this age, but also in the one about to come. Bible Basic English says, far over all rule and authority and power and every name that which is named, not only in the present order, but that, but in that which is to come. Now, I'm asking you one more time. Do we believe the word of God? Do we believe the word of God? This is very clear. The Lord is talking about here and now. He said in the early part of chapter 1 of Revelation uh, uh, of Ephesus, uh, if, excuse me, the book to, to the the book of Ephesus and then also in chapter 3, one place says we've already been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's an accomplished fact from God's perspective. And the other verse says we've already uh he's already blessed us with uh, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Do we believe any of that? Or are we so caught up in the, the the this world and the circumstances of this world we can't believe the scripture because of course faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So you've got to have faith. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And faith is the substance on the Greek word. There is the title deed of ownership of things hoped for. And it is the evidence evidence that's sufficient to, to win a verdict in court of things not seen. So you have faith. You believe this. Because if you believe this, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Right here, right now. Not down the road somewhere. There's no wishing and hoping here. This is not some 60's pop song. This is for right now. There's no wishing and hoping from a human perspective. Hope, biblical hope, is beyond faith. Faith, hope, charity. That's a sequence of order. How can hope be greater than faith? Because hope or faith is the substance of things hoped for that evidence things not seen. But according to the Greek word translated hope, it is an absolute confident expectation that what is believed is going to happen no matter what it looks like, no matter what things feel like, no matter what. No matter how impossible it may seem, hope says I'm confident in God He can't lie. That's going to happen. So, okay, Lord, how can I be a part? And, of course, charity or love, agape, is the foundation of everything. God is agape. God is agape. So, if we're supposed to be doing this now, what does that mean? Let's talk about some of that. If you've been paying attention to the call to war briefings, uh, this will not be new to you. But it needs to be put here in this context. The question is, this dominion we have now in the spirit, are we using it? <laughs> Will the church be the restrainer of the spirit of iniquity that God's called it to be? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And now ye you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, the Greek word translated withholdeth in verse 6 is the exact same Greek word that's translated it as let or letteth in verse 7. And according to Strong's, the word literally means to restrain. So, just, just to, to make the point, let me put the literal meaning of the Greek word in there. And ye you know what restrains that he may be revealed in his time for the secret or the subtlety of iniquity of the spirit of iniquity doth already work and that was written in the first century only he who now restrains will continue to restrain until he's no longer here now according to Robertson's word picture in looking at the Greek words in these two verses the first word, uh, withholdeth or restrain, is in the neuter tense. And the second time, it's in the masculine tense. Well, I thought we were the body of Christ. That's not all we are. The body of Christ, or the bride of Christ, excuse me, expresses female roles. He's the groom, we're the bride. It expresses a... Uh, 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 love and and, and, and cooperation, submission with the husband, and it expresses childbirth and nurturing. So no matter whether we're male or female, we're all a part of the bride of Christ. But just like Christ was both the high priest and the sacrificial lamb the high priest offers, the body of Christ or or the church is not just the bride of Christ, it's also the body of Christ. Was Christ male or female? That's not a trick question. Was Christ male or female? So, if Christ was was male, then the body of Christ, or that, or the expression of His Church as the body of Christ, are the typical male things to do: authority, power, protection. Right, and this restraining is not done by the bride. The restraining is going is done by the Church in its manifestation. As the body of Christ. Which I just read to you about in Ephesians chapter 1. That wasn't discussing the bride of Christ. It was discussing the church as the body of Christ. And the Lord doesn't confuse the two. When he's talking about the bride of Christ, he's very specific in what that means. When he's talking about the body of Christ, he's very specific in what that means. And those roles, while they're two different roles for for us, the church, they are different roles. And there's a calling we have as a bride of Christ and there's a calling we have as the body of Christ. And we don't get to pick. There are times in His will He deals with us as His bride. There are times in His will that He deals with us as His church, the body of Christ. There are times He expects to work through us as His bride. As There are times He expects to work through us as His body, and if we, if we have that understanding and we're in tune with him, we will understand which one of those he's wanting us to do. And so this restraining is done by the body of Christ and Christ through his body. Now, I'm going to read quickly here uh, a couple of translations. The Amplified says, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 6 and 7, And now you know, now you know, well, if they knew it now then, why don't we know it now now? And now you know what is restraining him from being revealed at this time. It is so that he may be manifested or revealed in his own or God's appointed time for his revelation. For the mystery of lawlessness, that lawlessness, that hidden principle of rebellion against constituted authority, is already at work in the world, but it is restrained only until he who restrains is taken out of the way. And we says it this way. And now you know, with a positive assurance, that which, that which, namely the departure of the church, the saints being assembled together to the Lord, is preventing his being disclosed as to his true identity in his strategic appointed time. And again, The adversary didn't pick the time. He'd do it this moment. He would have done it 2,000 years ago. He tried to do it in the garden. He tried to do it on the Mount of Temptation with Christ. So he's not the one restraining himself and holding him back to some perfect time. God is. And how is God doing that? Through, first of all, the man Christ Jesus, and now he's doing it through the body of Christ. So the mystery... The mystery of the, uh, for the mystery of the aforementioned lawlessness is now operating. Only He, the Holy Spirit, who is holding the lawlessness down, will do so until He goes out from the midst of humanity. Well, the Spirit of the Lord can't leave this earth without taking everybody that's got the Spirit of the Lord with Him, or we won't have the Spirit of the Lord anymore. So there cannot be a revelation of that man of Christ, Antichrist. There biblically cannot be a revealing of that man of the Antichrist while the church is still here. In order for that revelation or that manifestation of the Antichrist to take place, the church and the one in the church that is restraining the spirit of iniquity through the church has to be gone. Now, according to John chapter 7 verse 39, there was a time when the Holy Ghost was not. Now, I know the King James says, uh, but this fake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, but the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. But again, in the honesty and the integrity of the translators, they put the word given in italics to let you and I know, non-Greek scholars, that that word was not in the Bible. They added it because they thought it had to go there. Well, of course they did. When you believe in three persons in the Godhead, you can't understand how the Holy Ghost was not yet. So you got to put given in there to fit your doctrine. But they had enough integrity to let it, you and I know that that word wasn't in the Bible. They added it. Well, if that's the case. Now, the Spirit of the Lord has always been. But the manifestation of the Spirit of the Lord as Holy Ghost, which is almost always in reference to the Spirit of God specifically dealing with humanity and then that one thing that nobody else had before the day of Pentecost, the indwelling Holy Ghost. Now, I know that the Spirit of God was on and in some people for certain offices. Prophets, priests, kings, the Holy Ghost moved on them. But they did not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They did not have the new covenant. That only happened on the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Ghost was Not yet till Christ was ascended. And when Christ ascended and was glorified, he sent back, as John the Baptist said he would do, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So he gives the Holy Ghost to start the new covenant. He's taken the Holy Ghost off the earth and with everybody that's got the Holy Ghost at the end of the church age. And the Antichrist cannot, he's restrained. He's held back. He cannot be manifested till the Holy Ghost and the church that he indwells is off the earth. But the scripture says the iniquity, iniquity is lawlessness, which means a refusal to be under the authority of God and his word. Those who harbor iniquity run their own lives. They make their own decisions. They call themselves Christians. And they pray a little bit and they fulfill their religious obligations. And they may be good people. But they live by their will. And that's iniquity. Those who harbor iniquity run their own lives. Nobody including and especially God tells them what to do. Iniquity is the father of all other sin. Every other sin that I commit results from me being unsubmitted to God's word. And deciding for myself what, when and where I do all that I do. Even spiritual things. Iniquity was Lucifer's sin in heaven. And was the root of his downfall, Ezekiel 28, 15. And that is his spirit from the time he got kicked out of heaven before it was the reason he got kicked out of heaven. And from that time he's been in the earth and that's what he's tried to do. And that's exactly what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He got them to go against the word of God and do their own will. She saw the food, the, 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 the fruit was, uh, uh, good for food and it was just, And it was pleasant to the eyes and it was desired to make one wise. And so she exercised her will and did that. And then Adam exercised his will in eating with her so he wouldn't be separated from her. We as the body of Christ are called to be the conduit for the Holy Ghost to restrain the Antichrist until the Holy Ghost of the church is taken out of the earth. That will be the Antichrist time, but not until then. But this is only true if the church fulfills its place in God's plan and purpose. And how often do we do that? How much are we doing that? How much is it do we accept it's our responsibility as individual members of the body and as the collective body to be the conduit through which the Holy Ghost prays the prayer and speaks the word of faith and authority into the atmosphere that restrains him, that holds him back? How often do we do that? Well, the problem is this. We're promised the victory if we just fight. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen from the dead, with him through, through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and, and, and the uncircumcision of your faith, your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, which are iniquities. Trespasses are iniquities. It's going against the word of God. It's transgressions. That's going against the word of God, doing our will, not his will. Blotting out, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Strong says that the word spoiled means to divest wholly oneself, H-O-W-H-O-L-L-Y, or for oneself, to despoil. To wholly put off from oneself, denoting separation from what is put off, it also means to despoil and disarm. The Lord disarmed him by being resurrected from the dead. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ disarmed him. And then the resurrected one ascended into heaven and became the focal point of the manifestation of the right hand of God, the, the authority and power of God forever. Forever. And we're part of that body. We're part of his body. He, The one sitting on the throne is only the head. The rest of us comprise the body of the one sitting on the throne. Now, if we're impotent down here, the one on the throne is impotent. If he's not impotent, you and I are not impotent either. But to whom much is given, much is required. What are we doing with all that? Oh, we're praying for God to fix this and do this and change that and give us this and don't let this happen and blah, 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 blah. And it's all about us. It's not about him. It's not about the kingdom. It's not about his plan. I'm not talking to people that haven't repented up to now. I'm talking about people that are hungry for God. I'm talking to people that have faith in God. You may not understand everything you're you're hungering for, but you you're hungry. You want something and you're tired of sitting back and being a victim. And When I was a kid, probably I was 5 years old, for Christmas one day I got what was called a Joe Palooka punching bag and if you know who Joe Palooka is, you're old. But it was it stood about this high and it was a blow-up thing and it had sand in the bottom and you could punch him and he'd go down but come back up. And that's that's success to so many Christians. That I get up the equal number of times that the devil has knocked me down. I am saved. Really? My question to you and the Lord's question to you is, how many times are you knocking him down? And he's not getting up. That's the will of God. Now, this word triumphing over it, this is a carefully chosen word by the Holy Ghost. It means to make an acclamatory procession, figuratively to conquer or to receive and proclaim victory. It means to celebrate victory. Well, you can't celebrate a victory in a conflict or a war that you haven't fought or are not fighting. Colossians one fifteen in the Amplified says, God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumph triumphing over them in him and in the cross we says it this way having stripped off and away from himself the principalities and authorities he boldly made an example of them leading them in triumphal procession in it easy to read version says "He, he He defeated the rulers and powers of the spiritual world with the cross he won the victory over them and led them away as defeated and powerless prisoners for the whole world to see and then finally the expanded bible says God Or Christ, literally, He in the Greek stripped and spirit stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority. Literally, disarmed and despoiled the rulers and authority with the cross. He won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless. Publicly shamed them, made a public spectacle of them. And, And and the translator of the expanded Bible says in commentary. That This is referring to a triumphant general displaying his captives in a victory parade in his home country or capital city. That's the word the Lord chose. That same word is used here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now, thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, make it, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Really? That's what the Word of God says is happening? So, the first time, the first verse I quoted, the, the, the word was used in, it was talking about Christ triumphing. But this verse is talking about us. And notice, this isn't talking about future tense. This is talking about day to day. Battle by battle. Conflict by conflict. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let this be true. In Jesus' name, let this come to pass in the earth. In Jesus' name, right now, Lord, get a hold of every heart and mind that's watching this live or that will watch this after this live uh, 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 communication. And, and, and let this word sink down in their hearts, their souls, their mind, and spirit and challenge our faith, Father, to come together as one, and believe these words no longer as theory. There's too much theology that's nothing but theory. We've, we've had no practical application in it. We have done nothing with it but just rejoice over the theory of it. Well, my God is not a God of theory. He's a God of action. He's a God of manifestation and demonstration. He's a God of authority and power. He's not a God who is sitting idly by like idols do. It is sin for us to leave the God in us idle. It is sin for us when he said, we're going to be held accountable for every idle word. That Greek word for word is rhema. And the word idle doesn't mean telling off-color jokes, which is not right, of course. But it is unused, unemployed uninvolved rhema from God and if you didn't have a rhema from God on this before you're getting a rhema from God right now now what is it going to do is it going to sit in your brain or are you going to let get it out of your brain as quick as you can or are you going to get involved in, in that word that rhema being activated in you through you by you as an individual member of the body of Christ and as, a, and as the whole body of Christ itself Now, I'm reminding you, and I've talked about this a little bit in a couple of the directives, but in the flow of the Holy Ghost right here, right now, here it comes again. Who is the one that declared war between Satan and humans? I'll read it. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity, but I will put enmity. Hello? If I'm living in denial of enmity, if I'm trying to pretend there is no enmity, if I'm trying to pretend there is no enemy, I'm directly contradicting God himself. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The Hebrew word enmity means hostility and hatred. It comes from the root Hebrew word to hate as one of the opposite tribe or party hence to be hostile so enmity is a product of hatred he hates you he hates me he hates the church one day years and years ago i was teaching along this line and this is not new stuff for me i've been teaching this stuff practicing this stuff since november 1971 I had, I had a child of God one day say to me, <laughs> I feel sorry for the devil. I looked at them and I said, do you know whose side you just said you're on? You know what you just confessed to? Oh, no, no, no. I said, oh, yeah. Out of the abundance of your heart, your, your mouth just spoke. And you are in grave danger if you don't let God bring you to yourself. I've told this story before, so I'm not going to go into great detail of it. But we were, I was in a particular difficult spot. And uh, I, I kept expecting the Lord to do what I thought he was going to do. This was years ago. This was the night of December the 31st, 1974. No, 73. And... Uh, <laughs> It didn't come through. We were doing an all-night prayer meeting and uh, most everybody going to sleep and I was still awake and we were just right at midnight. And something rose up in me. And I said, out of my mouth came, I hate you. I hate you with everything in me. And I am going to ask God to give me a special dispensation. With all you've done to humans and all the havoc you've wreaked, all the pain you've caused, all that you've done, I'm going to ask God for just a few minutes at least to stand on the banks of hell and look down into the place where you're being tormented and laugh my head off. And I'm going to mock you like you've mocked the people of God and mocked the the innocent people that don't even know that they're under your control. By the grace of If he doesn't let me, that's fine. But if he will, I want to return the favor. Now, I'm not going to heaven to mock the devil. And I'm not going to heaven to spite the devil. And I can't hardly sing those songs, Devil Don't Allow No Shouting Around Here. I could care less what he allows or doesn't allow. I'm not doing what I'm doing to spite the devil here. I'm doing what I'm doing to please God here. But of course, he's the enemy of everything I'm trying to do to please God. Hatred, passion, zeal are all biblical words that Jesus has. In fact, his death on the deathbed of resurrection is named the Passion of Christ. Why? Because the whole thing is a revelation of his passion. His death on the cross is a revelation of the Father's love. But the, his willingness to go through all that was the Christ, the man Christ Jesus' passion. And when he turned over the tables and seemingly lost his mind because of the, 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 the what was going on in the temple, and the disciples were looking around going, Oh, oh God, we, 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 we're, we're about to be in big trouble here. The only way they... Resolved all that was, they remembered. It was written, the zeal of that house has eaten me up. I'm real sorry. This is going to be offensive to people, but God's giving it and I'm saying it. I have a very difficult time with people who are so in control of themselves that they just always are just so deliberate at uh, 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 excuse me I'm sorry Where's the passion? I wasn't just baptized with the Holy Ghost I was baptized with the Holy Ghost in fire I have a right And we have a right to ask of each other Where's the fire? You say you've got the Holy Ghost fired But he didn't just give us the Holy Ghost He gave us the Holy Ghost and Fire and I'm paraphrasing a couple of verses here. But he said, the time has come. That the, the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Not take it away from God, but take dominion away from the adversary. Those are the people God that please God. The Bible says we're supposed to be fervent in spirit. That means to be on fire in the spirit. I make no apologies for my fervor. None. If that's a problem to you, God bless you. Take it up with him. Because this came from him. And that fire's been there. It has nothing to do with age. It's been there since February of 1965. 1965. And if anything, the fire's only burning brighter. And if that's offensive, I'm very sorry, but you'll have to take it up with him. I'm not apologizing. No. I love Jesus. But I pray this way. Let me love what you love through me and hate through me. Let me love what you love and let me hate what you hate. And there are things that God hates. I can't be neutral about what God hates. And he put enmity between man and the woman. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> he didn't put that there. No, that's what sin and flesh does. He put, he put enmity between Satan and humanity. And I will put enmity, he said. That's what the word of God says. So what am I doing here? What am I doing? What are we doing here? If we're living in denial of what he's done, and he told us in advance, he told the serpent, you're going to win a minor battle. You're going to bruise her seeds heel, not seeds plural, seeds singular, because Christ was born of woman. And on the cross, the heel was bruised. Satan won that one, he thought. But in the resurrection of Christ, from that moment on, the Lord has been willing to crush his head. If he could just find some feet to do it with. Amplified version says, Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise and tread your head underfoot. And you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. The Bible in basic English says it this way. There will be war between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. And by him will your head be crushed. And by you his foot will be wounded. The uh, the uh, Rotherham uh, emphasized Bible says this way. And enmity will I put between thee and the woman. Between thy seed and her seed. He shall crush thy head. But thou shalt crush his heel. And finally, the expanded Bible says it this way: "I will make you and the woman enemies to each other; place hostility, image mid- between you and the woman. Your descendants or seed and her descendants or seed will become enemies. One of her descendants, he will crush you. Literally, in the Hebrew, he 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 will crush your head, and you will bite, strike at, bruise, or uh, his heel. And then Paul." In the closing part of Romans 16 says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. And what are God's soldiers wearing in this conflict? We put on our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. Why? Because when I have peace, I've got these promises. Thou wilt keep, guard, preserve him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Or how about this one? Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them? And how about Peter saying first Peter three eleven, seek peace and pursue it. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The expanded Bible says, The God who brings peace will soon defeat Satan and give you power over him. Crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Here's our problem. Too many of us have made friendships with the world without even knowing what we've done. Now, I can't, the Bible says, I'm about to read the verse for you, that friendship with the world is enmity against God. Why? Because I cannot have a friendship with the world without also being friends with the God of this world. Impossible. It's impossible. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fighting among you, can they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war and ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss or you ask for the wrong reasons. Why? What's the reasons? That you may consume it upon your own lusts. Not asking for the glory of God, not asking for the kingdom's sake, but asking for self. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Well, I haven't committed adultery, would say. If I'm a friend of this world, if I have inner, an emotional connection or a fondness for this world, James, through the Holy Ghost, is calling that spiritual adultery. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the, that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And then John said it even more succinctly. 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's why Jesus taught us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be, at shall, will be added unto you. What things in the context of, of, of Matthew chapter 6? What we're going to eat, what we're going to put on, what we're going to sleep, and all other needs as children of the Father. He said, Because your Father knows what you have need of, So you don't need to be seeking for that which a father supplies because he's the father. The children don't have to ask the father for food, for clothing, whatever. That's a father's job. At least it's the heavenly father's job. Some fathers don't believe that today, but that's a discussion for another time. So, (laughs) because that's the case, I don't have to... It, it, whatever the Lord wants he'll give to me whatever he's giving I'm receiving it. if he's not giving I don't want it because I don't want to lust after what my flesh desires or lust after what my eyes see or lust whatever after that which will entice or build up the pride of my life I don't want that I don't want it that's why Solomon I believe it was prayed this way don't make me rich, lest I get full and forget you, and don't make me poor, so that in my hunger I curse you. That's not an exact quote, but that's what he said. So, Paul said, I've learned how to abound and be abased. I've learned how to be full and empty. I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in to be content. But we love the world. We love what the world has to offer. Now, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And John finished the thought with first John two seventeen, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father fo- of God abideth forever. Now, when it comes to this conflict with the God of this world, we are not warring against people. Paul made that very clear. We Ephesians 6.12 We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our conflict is with the spirit world. Loving human beings and wanting to see them saved is not loving the world. Loving the world is what this system can give you. That which satisfies the eyes, that which satisfies the flesh, that which satisfies the pride. Now, What happens if we don't hate the things of this world? We don't hate the God of this world. You know, yeah, they're bad, but, you know, I'm not going to get all caught up in that, quote unquote. Really? Well, David was a very unique human being. I don't know of anybody else that God confessed of him and witnessed of him, of a man, that he had chosen David, a man who had been pursuing God's heart. He didn't want things from God. He wanted God. And in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 13, when he gave this testimony, he said that David was, he chose a man that would do all of his will. How does a man like that commit adultery and then try to cover his sin by bringing the husband home from the battlefront and then being thwarted because the man's too loyal to lay with his wife while all of his compatriots are out separated from their wives on the battlefront. And so David has him sent back with sealed orders that caused him to be killed, which God considered murder. How does a man after God's own heart get to that place? Well, his generals had talked him into not going to the battle because he was the light of Israel. And if somehow a stray arrow, like it happened to King Saul, would kill David, the light of Israel would be put out. So let us go fight the battle. You stay home here safe. And while he, while that man who was called of God and learned what he learned about trusting God, in his battles with the lion and the bear and then with Goliath and then with all the other armies, uh, uh, enemies of Israel that he fought against, that God blessed him to fight against and win peace for Israel, when he was sitting idle, while his armies were out in tents on the battlefront, David listened to his captains instead of trusting the God that always protected him in battle and was and not and being on the front lines of the battle to lead his people in battle. While they were out battling, he was at home, bored out of his mind. So he's wandering around on the rooftop and sees this woman. And I won't go into all that now. I've got opinions on both sides of that. But the only reason a man after God's own heart fell into that kind of sin, because he was unemployed in the battle. He was unoccupied in the war and he had leisure to wander in his mind, in his spirit, and then with his body into sin. That's why Jeremiah prophesied, Jeremiah 48 and 10, cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. We're not talking about natural blood here. This is figurative language to talk about warfare and the spirit and spirits don't have blood. So the paraphrase is, cursed is the child of God. Uh, not my words. Cursed is the child of God, the man of God, the minister of the, of God, who will not involve himself in the Lord's battles which God declared war on in Genesis 3.15. He declared war. And then finally, I can't imagine there's any of you that don't know about this, but it's one verse. Judges 5.23, Curse ye miros, said the angel of the Lord, curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. The citizens of the city of Miraz would not heed the call to come join the rest of Israel in fighting their battles. And because they would not heed the call, because they stayed home safe and sound, God cursed them. Two verses with curses upon people that won't be involved in God's battles. Not not my words. Oh, so let's go. A little different direction for a little bit, okay? John 15 in verse 16 says this. Ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of, of the Father in my name, he will he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. If you and I are trying to be approved of by the world, then we don't have any hope of pleasing God because he's never going to allow both of those things to happen. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no, no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they both see and both, they, they both seen but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this is, this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in the law. They hated me without cause. And in this same context, what about the, uh, the words that are uh, the prayer of Jesus just that he prayed with the disciples, all of them, before he went out to Gethsemane to pray alone. John chapter 17, I'm reading the words of Jesus and The man Christ Jesus prayer. Uh, Verse six. I I can't read all of it for time's sake, but I'm gonna start with verse six. I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou thou gavest them me. They have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them th- the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I, ga- I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. But for them which, th- that which thou hast given me. For they are thine. And all mine are thine. And thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in this world. But these are in the the world and I come to thee holy father keep thou through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are while I was with them in the world I kept them in thy name they those that thou gavest me I, I have kept and none of them is lost save the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled and now excuse me and now come out of thee And these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. What? In the world, but not of the world. They are not of the world. One more time, verses 15 to 16. I I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil of the world. They are not of the world. They don't belong to the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And as for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That's why the scripture says this. First John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try or test, put to the test the spirits, whether or not they are God. Because many false prophets are gone out in the world, and many false spirits try to speak to us in our minds, like I taught. In uh, directive number five. Hereby know we know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is coming uh, in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't overcome the world by joining the world. Verse 5, they are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth is, And the spirit of error. Now God prophesied. Satan's demise. His defeat began with the resurrection of Christ. And Jesus prophesied that. The night he was taken prisoner. Of the day he was crucified. Luke 22 says this. Luke 22 verses 52 and 53. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders, which were, which were come to him, be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. And then he makes this statement, but this is your hour, the power of darkness. Wee expanded translation says of verse fifty three, "Daily I was with you in the temple, and ye did not stretch your out your hands against me. But this is your hour, and this is your delegated authority, and the power of darkness." The Holman Christian Standard Bible says of verse fifty three, "Every day while I was with you in the temple complex, you never laid hands on me. But this is your hour, and the dominion of darkness. This is the greatest accomplishment of darkness. And finally, the New Living Translation says." Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when when the power of darkness reigns. Okay, that's true. But listen to the prophecies that Jesus gave concerning what that time meant. For the devil, it was the pinnacle of his success against God in his mind. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, If the princes of this world had not known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And he wasn't speaking about just natural princes. He was talking about principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness and wicked spirits in the atmosphere, Ephesians 6 and 12. And the Lord prophesied what was going to happen after that. He said, listen to this. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me. And this he said concerning how he was going to die. So he made the statement that his death, burial, and resurrection was the beginning of the beginning of the judgment of Satan. And after what he did in the garden, To our forefather and mother. We have an opportunity. To fight in that war. That the Lord declared in Genesis 3.15. And demonstrate to him. That he's not winning. He's not winning. John 14 verses 28 through 30 says. You have heard how I said unto, unto you. I go away. And come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto my, unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it came to pass that when it come to pass is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk with you much, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. And different translations translate that last phrase as "There's nothing in me that belongs to him." There's nothing in me that he has, he can take ownership of. There's nothing in me he can use to have power over me and defeat me. That's what the cross was about. Then John 16, that was, uh, John 14 was the beginning of that three chapter message, his last session of instruction to the church before he was crucified. John 16 is in the last chapter. John 16 verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. But when he is come. That's not the rapture. That was the day of Pentecost. I'm going to send him to you. But when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment. Because the prince of this world is judged. What happens? If God wanting to use his body. As the hammer and anvil of that judgment. Against Satan. Not against man. Against Satan. What if it won't cooperate? What if it. Wants to be comfortable and normal and just fulfill their religious obligations so they can run the rest of their life however they want to. God God have mercy upon us. And Jesus made it very clear about all this. None of this a mystery. The scripture is very clear. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 70 that he had sent out with power to cast out devils, etc., etc. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord... Even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. The authority of God is so great that these men, even without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, could cast out devils through the authority of God. If they could cast out devils and had devils obeyed them and had to submit to them and they didn't even have the Holy Ghost yet, then what in the world is going on with those of us that have not only that authority but have the Holy Ghost? And when they testified this, verse 18, Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Not striking earth as lightning, but that flash of quickness of being ejected. And I don't believe that at this moment, or at least the moment of the resurrection, that Satan ever again had access to heaven like he did in the book of Job. So he says, And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power, that the Greek word there is not dunamis, but exousia, authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, how can that be any clearer? How can that be any more plain? How can that be any simpler? How do we ignore that? Thank God I'm talking to people that aren't ignoring it. Thank God. Thank God for you. Thank God for your hunger. Thank God for your willingness to participate. Even though we don't really know what to do yet and how we're going to do it yet, but we're submitted to God for him to teach us and lead us and use us. And he promised those that would go on the offensive. Tread on is a military term. Place the soul. He's put all things under his feet. That is the act. That's the result of treading on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And as I said in the last directive, serpents represents the deceitful deception of the adversary. Scorpions represents the stinging, hurtful Accusations, the fiery darts, and the power of the enemy, he doesn't have any power except what we give him or God permits for a season or for a purpose. But he tries to get us to fear and to be intimidated so he can, we can be overpowered by him. But we're supposed to be walking on that. We're supposed to conquer all of that. And if we're on the offensive against it, he promised that nothing shall be by any means hurt us. And then verse uh, Hebrews chapter two, verse fourteen says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the, the devil, and the deliverer and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now the word destroy there we interpret according to our understanding, but the Greek word doesn't mean eliminate. Or cause to no longer exist. The Greek word means. It's cartagio, I believe. It's the way it's close to the pronunciation. It means to be or to render entirely idle or useless. According to Strong's. According to Thayer's it means to render idle, unemployed, inactivate, inoperative. Or to cause to cease. To put an end to. To do away with. annul, abolish. So Christ died on the cross to destroy him that had the power of death, that is, to take away his power, to make him idle. That's not talking about him being cast into the lake of fire. That's talking about us restraining him now until the rapture. No wonder he's going to be so angry in the period of wrath. And come against the the Jewish people, and the other and the believers of that hundred forty four thousand evangelists that make up that that uh, Revelation seven group that stands before the Lord. No wonder, because <laughs> the church is going to muzzle him big time. If we will just believe the word of God and do it until the rapture. Now, first John three, verses seven and eight says this little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth he that doeth righteousness is righteous, even he is as he is righteous. He that committeth sin, and this is habitually sinning, is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, for this cause, for this reason, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy there is a different Greek word. It is the Greek word "luo," which means to loosen, literally or figuratively. According to Thayer's, it means to loose any person or thing tied or fastened, to loose one bound or 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 to unbind, to release from bonds, to set free, or to loosen, undo, dissolve anything bound, tied, or complicated. And here's how that word is used: John eleven forty three. And forty-four. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come forth!" And when he, and he that was dead came forth, bound, handed foot, foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, "Loose him and let him go." Oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute here. So we understand from the customs of the time that they would. Wrap somebody else in these this linen long linen cloth and bind them up. They kind of looked a little bit like a mummy, and they didn't embalm, but they they did that. And then they would bury them like that. They put a, a a cloth over their face and bind them up. And the one that was capable of bringing the person that had been dead over three days back to life couldn't have caused all those grave clothes to fall off of him at the exact time. Sure, he could have, but he didn't. Why? Because he, he told his disciples, get that, get the, get those evidences of death off of him. Loose him from those grave clothes. And it is the work and responsibility of the church of the living God to exercise the authority of God to loose people from the works of Satan. He was manifested so that he might, through us, destroy or loose us from the works of the devil. And that word is also used in another verse I've used many times, Matthew 16:18. And I say unto thee, I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. There are some things that need to be bound. There are some entities, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spirits in the atmosphere that need to be bound because you can't loose people of the works of the devil. We can't speak the words of deliverance like luke four eighteen Jesus was itemizing that ministry, and I won't requote that or read that again, uh but it's the one that starts out the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. yes, that is a detailed description of loosing people of the works of the devil, the works of death, the works of sin. God wants us to be whole, yes. And then he said, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There are things that God has loosed in heaven, he wants to use us as a conduit for, to loose people of in the earth. There are things that the adversary is warring against in the earth that God has promised, that like Daniel prayed and fasted while that warfare went on between Michael and the prince of Persia to resist the word of God, the answer that God had sent from getting to him, uh, we also pray against those things and loose those things so that the answers can be fulfilled. We have a promise of victory. We have a promise of victory. I've read this already. Romans sixteen twenty, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Shortly, it's not 2,000 years later from the time this was written, and then he tells us how it's going to happen, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, because it is all done by grace. We says of this verse, "And the God of peace will trample Satan under your feet feet soon. the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you." So I have a question. We have a promise. We have a promise. When are we going to do put actions with our faith that proves we believe the promise? Yes. yes, that's what we've started already. Those that are participating have started already. Some are in the process of starting. There are some that believe the rapture is going to be an escape plan or a rescue mission because so many of us are falling away that if the Lord doesn't get us out of here, there's not going to be anybody left. That's not what the rapture is. The rapture is a groom coming for his bride, his wife. And it's a triumphal uh, entry into heaven. It's like being at a wedding reception and the bride and groom come in together and they're announced together as man and wife. Why? Because again, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 21 through 23 says that in Christ we... Who is already set on the throne. We have been given exceedingly great power. We have been giving it. And that power is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world right now, but also in that which is to come. And he said, put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over the over all things to the church, which is his body. Is his body a feetless church? or the Feet on the sides of his head or are they at the end of the body? So if he's put all things under his feet, then there's something for the body along with those feet to do to see this fulfilled and manifested. And that's why Ephesians Hebrews chapter 2 beginning with verse 5, and I'll read quickly here, but I need to read the context. It says these things. For under the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, wherever we speak, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And did did it set him over the works of thy hands? Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him started out that way, but after sin it hasn't been the case. so the second Adam and all he has done he did on the earth and all he is do, doing in and now in and by and through his body now is the restoration of that in the spirit world in the earth for now. the physical manifestation manifestation that's not going to take place till the millennial reign of Christ. Now has put all things in subjection under his feet, man's feet. For him that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by by the grace of God, should taste death for everyone. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain their general in battle, the captain of their salvation, perfect through sufferings. For both in that he sanctifieth, and they that are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as God are, uh, as the children are protectors of flesh and blood, He also likewise took part of the same, that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their ty- lifetime subject to bondage of fear. And how is this going to be fulfilled? This all things being put under His feet. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then if Ephesians, or G- Genesis, excuse me, 3, 14 and 15. Here it is again. And the Lord God said it, uh, unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above all. Every beast of the field and upon thy belly thou shalt go and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel Now that cannot be fulfilled after the rapture That is what god has promised to do now Christ is the seed And the body of Christ is the manifestation of that seed now. And the judgment of Satan and the victory against Satan only started at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the ascension. It will not be completed until the church is taken off the earth because the Holy Ghost is being taken off the earth because he is the restrainer of the spirit of iniquity. Of the spirit of the antichrist. This has to happen now. This has to happen now. But there's some things God has to do before the rapture can take place. I am a pre-tribulation rapturist. But maybe a little different one. Because I don't believe he can come any minute. I'm sorry. He said all these are the beginning of sorrows. And the Greek word there for sorrows is speaks of labor pains and having a wife that has had three children, two that survived, the last two that survived, uh, the first one was miscarried about, about two-thirds of the way through, uh, I know what labor pains are like. I know how horrifying it was to her when the labor pains started when she was still three, four months away from birth. I know how horrifying that was to them. that. That was not encouraging to her. But I also know what those labor pains were like with the second one. And he was pretty much right, right like clockwork on time. The the third one, ah, he was two weeks late. My wife says I I think she she says it was three weeks. I don't know what it was, but let me tell you what we were sure happy when those labor pains started. And they start out, and they're 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 they've got some space between them, and they get closer and closer together, and they get more and more severe. And let me tell you something right now: labor pains are not birth. They're only preparation for the birth. The pains of birth are pushing. And pushing is going to get us out of here. Yeah. So, here's what's got to happen. Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn. God swore an oath, not a promise, an oath, Against his own deity, saith the Lord, for by because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, that only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. That's exactly the same promise of Matthew chapter sixteen, verse eighteen. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Well, here's Paul's through the Holy Ghost uh, explanation of that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye not that they which are of faith the same are the children or the seed of Abraham? And the scripture for seeing in advance those things that are not being called as though they were the end told before the beginning. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now what is the blessing of Abraham? I'm not going to guess. I'm just going to let the Bible tell you. Galatians 3 verses 13 and 14. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that for this cause, for this reason, the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. What is the blessing of Abraham? That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And he promised in Genesis twelve that every family on earth would receive an outpouring of the Holy Ghost or the blessing of Abraham. And he vowed that every nation on earth would receive the blessing of Abraham or an outpouring of the spirit. That has not happened. That has not happened. I know men, good men, great men of God who are missionaries in countries that have not had an outpouring of the Holy Ghost yet. They're still battling against spirits. So it hasn't happened yet. And Jesus can't come. Until he fulfills his vow. Because he vowed against his own deity. And Paul in Hebrews 6 referring to this vow said. A vow settles all discussion. Because it's God confirming to us. That this isn't a promise that's conditional upon our faith. This is God saying I'm going to do this one way or the other. With you or without you. Your choice it is the perfect will of god for his church to be in all, involved in all of his will hebrews 13:20 now the god of peace that brought again from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect that's not flawless make you complete mature fruitful make you perfect in every good work to do his will according uh, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. How about Colossians 1 and 6? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what constitutes him being glorified through us? Ephesians chapter 5, verses, beginning with verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So how is he glorified through us? John fifteen eight. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. And then finally, (laughs) finally, He is glorified by the exercise of his power and authority through us in prayer. These are other verses that are very connected to Ephesians 1 for me. And there's so many things in this that would be awesome to teach, but I'm going to read them for you now. For this, Ephesians 3.14 For this cause I bow my knees of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family on earth is named, and that he would grant you, according to the riches of glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know experientially the love of Christ which passes passeth or surpasses intellectual knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. To what end? Now. Here we are to the now again. Right now. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. When, when and how do we ask or think? that he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above in prayer not in devotional prayer but in ministry prayer in warfare prayer why because now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to or by means of the power that worketh or is activated or operating in and through us for what purpose unto him be glory in the church, by the church, through the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Well, this is an age, and he wants to be glorified in this age, and this is the end of the age. We are in the last days, and it's time for the church to step up, get out of their complacency, wake up out of our spiritual sleep, and go to war. And those that are warring, you need these revelations. Ask God to give you these revelations of these faith, these things, so you can have boldness in your prayer and confidence in God that you're not coming against the devil on your own. Now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for you, and pray for me, and pray for the body of Christ, that the Spirit of God and the word of God, and the grace of God, and the love of God, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and the spirit of conviction of sin, the spirit of authority and spirit of power might minister to us, in us, and through us into this world and the atmosphere of this world so that souls can have their eyes open so they can see, so they can be turned or delivered from the, from darkness to light, so they can be set free from the bondage of the power of Satan and delivered into the saving hands of a loving God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray these things. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.